This episode is brought to you by Trichome, natural performance skincare. Trichome brings you natural, simple, and effective products with short, easy-to-read ingredient lists. Whether it's a hot summer day at the range or a brisk winter night in the woods, Trichome has your skin protected with everything from balms to beard oils. Lock in moisture and defy the elements safely and effectively with Trichome. Go to trichomeco.com and use code LETHAL10 at checkout for 10% off your order. That's T-R-I-C-O-M-B-E-C-O.com. <laughs> that, that's normally how we roll. We just kind of yeah, slide yeah. on in and yeah, <laughs> figure out where, where it picks off clean. That'll story, get you in trouble in a life. lot of different states. <laughs> it can. Have you ever heard the Jeff Foxworthy joke where he's like, uh, if you've ever cracked open a beer at somebody's funeral, you might be a redneck. And he's, yeah. he talks like, wrap up the funeral. Grandma was such a nice lady. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, i mean at my funeral you know if they if they crack one open at the funeral i i won't be mad i won't be mad oh people ought to be drinking before mine even starts <laughs> <laughs> everyone out in the parking lot that's right that's normally uh, where it starts yeah oh yeah uh, all great <laughs> the, things the, all great the things start in parking the funeral lots. like where are we actually going back to <laughs> how far back are we going i i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> uh garrett um not to not to bring it up right away but oh. <laughs> here we are uh the streak continues yep five so, in a row now five in a row what happened i i, I think i know what happened but Tell uh, tell us what happened. Just duck the arrow. That's about it. Bull duck the arrow. Yeah, because your shot you you like took a picture of it and it was like at like waist height. Yeah, it should have been Smoke City, but yeah, I just ducked it. I guess I don't know. That's the only thing that we can come to a logical conclusion of. Hmm. Just but, morphed out of the way. Yeah, just wasn't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when the shot broke, like you know, pin was right where it needed to be. Arrow was on track to get there and then i picked the arrow up in the air about halfway and then smacked a tree right above like four <laughs> inches above the back of the bowl i'm like what just happened wow. and would you say it was like a 50 yard shot 48 yard shot something like 47. that 47 47 so like not not real far definitely yeah no not terribly far by far so yeah it yeah. happens yeah no that's it's hunting it's yeah. hunting. you're gonna felt... just like breakdown crying when this actually happens <laughs> I, I mean I've, yeah i'll probably at least just have a big sigh of relief but finally well he looks like he's getting a little teary-eyed right now <laughs> <laughs> did uh so how was the how was the the razzing from uh dave and your other buddy uh so well at first it was I mean, it's been pretty healthy. However, uh, oh, I bet. <laughs> once we figured out that like there's really nothing that I did wrong, like it's just I just get the healthy ribbing as I expected to get for missing. Sure, but not too bad. At first, I, was, I oh. thought that my like I thought that I messed up something on my side or what, but because my sight was loose when I got when we got to camp, my sight was loose, so I tightened it mm. up, and I thought at, like first thing I thought was 
oh no, it was off. But yeah, I shot the bank at the same distance right after that, and it was dead on anyway. So hmm. yeah, whatever. Yeah, I've uh, when I was started shooting PRS matches, I went to uh, you know went to my first couple placed you know bottom quarter of the pack and i started being able to get in like middle of the pack and then i was like you know i was never like a top 10 guy but i was like eh, cracking like top 25 every once in a while on these 100 man shoots and uh and i went to one and i literally couldn't hit anything like mm-hmm. nothing and i was just like what is going on <laughs> and like i shot all day like i i mean i basically every shot over 600 yards was not even close, not even close. <laughs> and, and I, and I was like, man, like, I don't feel like it's overly windy. Like I've never been like that good at judging the wind. Uh, and that's always been my Achilles heel for long distance precision shooting. And I'm like, I don't feel like it's that windy. I'm having all sorts of issues. And I, I shoot until the end of the match. Cause it was like a four hour drive away and I wasn't just going to leave in the middle of it. And, I go to pick up my rifle and, you know, I grab it by like the, uh, uh, the tube of the scope. And when I go to pick it up, I feel like a, and I'm like, Hmm. So I pick it up and like my whole base is just like rattling. (laughs) Like great, great. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad I, glad I wasted $200 worth of ammo today on hand loads. Wonderful. So, yeah, been been there. I think uh doesn't uh Dudley, I mean not like I mean if it's loose it's loose, but doesn't uh I remember a long time Dudley came out with a like a a checklist of things to look at like once you've flown or something like that for your for your bow to like make sure the cams Before are still hunting, like in time. Make sure everything's tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only thing I can think like it wasn't loose and it wasn't super loose either. So, like it was like a a half turn out on the was it your screw. dovetail your dovetail that was no loose? the actual bracket was loose oh so like it you know to the, the dovetail was tight so it wasn't i mean it couldn't move very far right okay but it was like a half turn out but i noticed when we got to camp like i heard some sort of a rattle for like i bumped it on something and i heard it rattle i was like what was that and then i mm-hmm. start wiggling everything like trying to wiggle everything in my sight move just a smidge i was like oh great that's awesome <laughs> Yeah. But it wasn't that. Well, it was just that Elk decided to be part of the Matrix. Yeah. Well, you know, well, they announced the new Keanu Reeves is doing a sequel, another oh, sequel God. to the Matrix. So, Oh, great. Thank God go. he's such an awesome actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake, have you ever had a uh, an Elk go all Matrix on you or any big Western game, I guess? <laughs> not not an Elk. Um, had a few hiccups along the way with some deer. Uh, pigs, but for the most part, I've been very, very fortunate. Um, definitely a very lucky hunter, to say the least. <laughs> so it, uh, <laughs> we did have, I think, uh, a little bit further than Garrett's situation. We were up at a, a big 3D competition up in Alaska. We had about 360 competitors, and we had a guy directly on the line warming up that morning. And he was having a heck of a time, kind of like you were talking about anything past a certain distance just wasn't working out. And I want to say it was after about 30 yards, which isn't like him. This guy can literally hit dimes at about 40, 50. And it was 
he finally had enough of it. He was just going to put his bow down and figured he, that he just, he was more of the problem at the time getting inside his own head. And he lowered his bow while holding on to it, and the whole entire sight fell off. <laughs> oh, that explains it. <laughs> we we were the third team up, and this was like the last five minutes of shooting practice, and we are flying through trying to tighten this freaking spot hog back down. And we're not just talking like the screws came out of the main brace. We're talking like the actual globe and sight housing. <laughs> stripped clean out of the dovetails so he still had his phone Jeez. right there and he the look on his face and we're just sitting he's like um i think i got a spare sight like we weren't even gonna try and put, <laughs> there was no putting it back together at the time you've got fiber optic pins just peeling out and it just <laughs> so we he actually did all the right i think he ended up taking fifth but um yeah, <laughs> the guy can shoot, luckily. But we had that happen. Um, I've had similar situations, but um, I haven't had an elk completely duck out of my way yet. I didn't even Plus, know they could do that, to be elk. honest. I, I, didn't I didn't either. Know they could move that fast. <laughs> I did not either. So, But I, after watching Elon jump nine feet in the air from a standstill. Well, I, just tell everyone it was like a little raghorn. It was yeah. a raghorn, but... Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't. Well, stop shooting the dinky little right? ones. I mean, I was shooting the first one that came in as long as it wasn't a spike. I'm not picky. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't killed enough of them to be picky. <laughs> no, I, I don't blame you there. Um, tonight, we are hanging out with uh, our good friend, Jake Thompson. Uh, Jake is uh, has been uh, a guiding light for us really uh in this whole uh thing for quite a while uh been buddies well i've known jake at least for a couple years rob you might have known him a couple years longer and i think garrett's about it's the same been time a while, frame at as least, me uh, at least knowing each other online sure um, right i think we met in person for the first time was it two years ago uh yeah, yeah two years ago yeah. at dallas yep so yeah but uh we've been chatting jake, for a while yeah, yeah, quite quite a while. But Jake is a a uh, as he'll tell you a very lucky bow hunter, and uh, uh, gets to hang out with some pretty pretty cool guys. Um, at least in in my humble opinion, well, he's hanging out with us, so it's pretty cool guys if you ask me. <laughs> uh, but uh, Jake is the uh, owner and founder of Danger Close Outdoors, um, and he's gonna he's gonna hang out with us tonight and. Uh, give us some hunting stories and some uh, suggestions and whatever else may may come this way. Jacob will probably end up being a uh, a frequent guest as we are uh, um, we're entering into a time uh, uh, with uh, some certain individuals uh, that uh, I'm I'm hoping we can continue to stay very involved with. Uh, and Jake is going to be a, a, a very important part of that. So. Say I'm excited uh, uh, is a bit of an understatement for what I think the next couple of years is going to hold. But uh, glad you're uh, glad you're here hanging out with us. Thanks for coming on. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me, and it's been absolutely awesome knowing you guys over the years, and I appreciate everything. Uh, sorry we had to put this off so long, but we'll uh, at least we finally got it done. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, first time of many, I hope. Oh, yes. That, that, that's uh, that's the plan, at least. Normal procedure with Jake. Yeah. Is <laughs> you play phone take for, like, a month. Like a and then guy. you end up, you know, having, like, a two-hour conversation, so. Yeah, it, uh, we, <laughs> well, I own um, Danger Close Outdoors, so we uh deal with all that stuff over there selling arrows and broadheads helping people get set up and then pointing people in the right direction um i'm also one of the founders of the ashby bow hunting foundation so that has obviously taken up quite a bit of time i have a real life or real life job i should say that pays for all the (laughs) hobbies um and three kids a wonderful amazing wife and a dog and i still guide whenever i can and somehow i find time to actually still get to hunt so it's been, it, it takes a little bit of time to get in touch, but I do try and get back to you as soon as I can. I apologize <laughs> for the delay. <clears throat> yeah, oh, we, we appreciate it. So uh, tell us a, a little bit about like growing up and just your getting into hunting and, and just being uh, uh, kind of raised in that lifestyle, if that was the case. Uh, believe it or not, I actually wasn't raised in the hunting lifestyle nearly as much. Um, it wasn't, uh, necessarily a big part of the family. We spent more time fishing, um, just due to the nature of the area that we grew up in, in the Northwest, we didn't, uh, have the opportunities quite the same. So we spent more time on the river. Where'd you grow up in the Northwest? Uh, Northern California, right okay. on the Pacific coast. Oh, you didn't, you didn't have to say that out loud. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Notice I still didn't say exactly where. Um, so it comes down to uh, more bang for our buck was on the river to go ahead and put food in the freezer. Yeah, absolutely. And that was where we spent a lot more time. Um, as I progressed and kind of headed out in life, I got into archery pretty early on didn't really start bow hunting until uh more teenage years into the world and then just kind of took off from there once i was in college i inherited a my first compound uh it was a martin overdraw prototype that only has serial numbers written on it and pen uh, <laughs> wood base like it was nothing crazy but it worked and it was effective and kind of started going from there um and yeah just kind of took off once i got into the archery side um that's where i stuck to yeah so uh, did you uh did did you dip your toes in target like was target (laughs) archery like where you where you were uh, where you started or did you like, did you just jump straight into hunting? I went more toward the hunting end of the world. Um, I spent some time doing long distance match with rifle and then continuing on with that thousand meter match, um, competition years ago. And I was also doing some skeet shooting on a couple different teams for, um, uncle Sam and doing some other stuff there. And so archery side and the bow hunting side i stuck mainly with the bow hunting didn't really stick to any type of target per se unless Mm -hmm. i was practicing and training up for a hunting season gotcha gotcha so what what really like what tipped you 
over the edge on hunting because well, I know you you lived in Alaska, right? Yes, sir. You were in Alaska for a while. Is that so? Did you go to Alaska so you could hunt more, or did you end up hunting more because you were in Alaska? Uh, I I ended up hunting more because I was in Alaska um, military, so went through and uh, moved up there, and then hunted and fished every single opportunity that I could get uh, to the point where even when I would travel for the military. I would pay additional baggage out of my own pocket so I could take my bow uh, fishing combo pack. And if I was going by a coastline, I'd have uh, skin diving and spear fishing gear to take with Smart me. Smart man. So yeah. it was one of those, hey, if I'm going to be going here, let's maximize the opportunity that we got and go live it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, I don't, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, uh I don't know. You tell me. I know. I know. You said it's it's our podcast, but uh, I mean, you. I mean, you've hunted on three continents, right? Yes, sir. Uh, I mean, how do you start with somebody that's hunted on three continents? I don't know. Um, Lord have mercy. Uh, <laughs> it's three, three continents. <laughs> like how many hundreds of animals? Like. It's hard well, to pick a I'm not, pick with, a spot. With a I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to make all I'm not going to make Jake talk numbers. <laughs> no, I'm not going to no. make Jake talk numbers because people wasn't, won't believe wasn't going to put specifics on it, but it's like it's it's tough to pinpoint somewhere to start. Yeah, when you're working yeah. with that kind of breath. What was right. the first one? But the, like, the the first one was well not counted on the list of animals that I've taken. The first one was probably a. Well, is it a grouse with a bow that was on a back fence? And that was, well, see, that was my rematch because the first time that I tried this, I'd actually gotten grounded and (laughs) shot an arrow over the fence, and the neighbor had just gotten a new roof on his house. And I stuck the arrow clean into the roof. um, And I walked inside. My dad happened to be at work at the time, and I just walked in the door. And my mom looked at me, and she's like, you just went out to target shoot. Like, what do you – and I handed her the bow. I said, I'm grounded. Take that away for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I, I walked to the room, and that was <laughs> – so I had to redeem myself later on after that miss. And, <laughs> and it kind of went from there. Um, it's – yeah, uh, like I said, very, very lucky and very fortunate to have yeah. gotten a chance to do all this. Yeah. So what? Uh, well, I know you mentioned that Danger Close does. You know, you you have your your products on there from Grizzly Stick that you sell. Uh, what uh, What else does Danger Close do uh, that that may not necessarily be uh, available at other retailers per se? Uh. Definitely the custom build. Where it comes down to it, yes. So my main thing, I I stock and sell the equipment that I have the most faith in that I believe in myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stock brands to make money. And if you are trying to do a build and it's not, I don't have what you're looking for, I'm going to point you in the right direction as to somebody who does. I'm more in it to educate and get everything out there and help people along the way improve their lethality the penetration capability and decrease the wounded loss rate that we got right now then i am Which to make is money astronomical it's uh, uh quite 
high. It, it's pretty bad right now. It's an estimated two out of every three uh, go unrecovered animals, and that's across the board overall. Um, so it gets pretty scary at times when we're looking at situations like that where we got to start improving that and start helping with that education side. Otherwise, we are going to lose our hobby and our livelihoods in what we do. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're big on the education, uh, for sure. And you, I mean, hell, you think you have a degree in education. (laughs) Yes, sir. uh, One of them. (laughs) One of them. Uh, Yeah. yeah. I have a few. Uh, a man, a man of education, um, to, to educate and to be educated. So uh, how, uh, okay. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of how to broach the, like, you you being involved with the Ashby Foundation and getting plugged in with Doc because obviously okay. uh, that is you know the both of those are things that we are um, big proponents of. Uh, so I'll I'll let you tell. I mean, well, I don't I don't even know the story, but like I'll let you like did were you into big game hunting and that's how you got plugged in with Doc or was it you got plugged in with Doc and then you got more into big game hunting like how. How did how did all of that happen? Uh, it's it can be rather lengthy, so please cut me off if you need well, to at uh, any time. I don't know so. if you know our average <laughs> podcast is like two hours long, so you you've got time. <laughs> we might make it through the first story. Um, so <laughs> anybody who's dealt with me knows I can be long winded. <laughs> so that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we um so one of the dreams that i'd had for a majority of my adult life was to go ahead and take a cape buffalo with a bow and that was a dream that i had spent 20 years of dreaming 10 years of savings and i was finally able to actually make happen uh back in 2016 uh was my cape buffalo hunt but to get that started rewind all the way back to 2007 I was living over in uh, Italy, and at the time I was uh, supporting... Were you in Vicenza? Uh, negative. I was in Aviano, so I was supporting oh, okay. and working uh, alongside the 173rd out of Vicenza. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So when we were down there, um, that was during the uh, duration where you had everything going on and what was kind of referred to at the time as the Forgotten Wars by Dan Rather. Um, when he mm-hmm. did the seven-part series uh, on Kunar, Kurt, uh, Nuristan, and the Korangal Valley, which then led into Restrepo uh, by Heath Hetherington and Sebastian yep. Junger. All yep. that fun Sebastian, stuff. I've, I've actually met Sebastian. He's a great dude. Uh, very, very awesome guy. Yeah, um, yeah. Great support. Awesome guy to sit down and to get to hang out man you want to talk about stories he makes oh, me look yeah. like i've done nothing <laughs> yeah um yeah. he is an amazing man uh so where we actually all got our start um there were a couple of us at the time we were big bow hunters and we were down at uh uh hugo's funeral when they had just flown his body back and all of us were a little bit kind of under the weather rightfully so not really feeling it and all we could wait for was, I think it was Bow Hunter magazine or one of the magazines that was in there. Uh, we mm-hmm. went into the shop at real quick or class six and came out with a Bow Hunter magazine because that was the only thing we wanted to spend our money on at the time. And things were down. So we started flipping through the pages and all of a sudden there was a grizzly stick ad. And the ad had that picture doc with his Asiatic buffalo down in Australia. 
and it said when you're ready for bigger and better things or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Meantime, I had spent the last three months trying to design a setup for Cape Buffalo. And after hmm. contacting Easton and not knowing what to do, and they finally set me up with a guy in the back shop um, <laughs> who he's got these charts, and I've still got them somewhere, but he emailed them to me. And it was how to stack an arrow like this and put the epoxy right here. And then you take this piece of wire and shove it in here and take this other arrow shaft. And like he had all these figured out what the spine was going to be, how everything was going to work. And so I hit him up at that point and I was like, well, mm-hmm. okay, we, if, if that's how I need to build the arrow, perfect. And he's like about a thousand grains. I was like, awesome. And I go, what broadhead? He goes, I have no idea. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I, I called the guys uh, back up at the front. They were like, well, you know, a rage uh, on an arrow that heavy, a rage will work really well. And nice. I'm like, we're hunting Cape Buffalo. <laughs> and that that was the last call I made to that company to give me any type of advice on how to build or develop an arrow. Um, it was the next night I started calling uh, Grizzly Stick. Now, with the time difference, I'd stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning so I could call back to the west coast of yeah. America mm-hmm. and go, yeah. hey, uh, I got some questions about this. I've read some of these articles. So after living over there for several years, uh, came back to the States and started helping out Grizzly Stick because I believe in the product, what they do and how, what they're capable of and what their equipment truly is. And started working at Dallas. And one day they kept mentioning, introducing me to Doc. And one day it finally happened. And that was quite a few years ago. And the rest is kind of kind of history at this point but that yeah. was believe it or not that was actually the short version of the story <laughs> <laughs> so you've been how long have you been in texas uh nine years now we moved okay, straight to el paso been... from italy that was gotcha, a culture gotcha. shock oh i bet <laughs> i bet <laughs> base of the dolomite mountains into base of the franklins little different <laughs> <laughs> tumbleweeds versus uh lush green pastures and yeah that'd be uh that would be a little be a little bit different that's, <laughs> yes, that's for sir. sure um so did you I, I know you've you've been uh guiding in in texas basically the whole time you've been there right uh yes sir on and off depending upon what yeah. time i had and when i could fit sure in. sure sure so uh in in your time guiding um I'm, I'm sure you've learned a lot about uh what works and what doesn't because you've i know you've guided a lot of uh uh hunts on animals that are very large and a lot of hunts <laughs> on animals that are very jumpy and, and everything in between uh what's i mean uh, what's been a general like consensus so far for for what you've seen General consensus, um, I'd probably say the number one thing that people fail in is they're usually aiming too far back. If you're Mm -hmm. back behind that leg, for most every animal that's 
in Africa, if you're already back behind that leg, you're too far back and you're basically out of the pocket. On a majority of American animals as well, to include whitetail, if you're back behind that leg, yeah, there's a chance that it can hit stuff, but you're already kind of walking off that kill zone and where you should be, and you're just increasing your chance of wounded loss at that point or a failure in some part of your equipment. Um, Hmm. From there, I would say equipment overall and the improper setups that have been out there. Um, Everybody's looking for the easier instant gratification, I want it now setups. And I don't want to have to tune my bow, so I put a mechanical broadhead on the front end of it because it doesn't magnify the issues that are in there. So I claim it flies like a field point. Every broadhead flies like a field point if you line everything up and get it going. Um, and it's, it's been hard at times. Um, it does trying to get those individuals in those right situations to be able to be successful with the equipment they got can be very, very difficult. Right. Right. Yeah. I would imagine that's a very dynamic thing because if a guy shows up with an un, an untuned bow and arrows and broadheads that you wouldn't recommend, like not really much you can do at that point uh i mean i mean you know you've got your time you've got your time at camp yeah yeah uh but i mean it's most i i would imagine uh um that the male ego uh is is a bit uh, apprehensive about saying yeah i'll just change my whole setup because this uh this random guy told me to uh um at the last minute when i just paid you know a couple grand to go shoot this nil guy or whatever (laughs) and uh uh uh, you know and once again for what i know about males and god what i saw at dsc there is a lot of ego in that room uh um to say to say the least uh which is which is fine like i have no problem with guys that that know what they're doing but god then you get guys with all that ego that don't know what they're doing and it's it's i feel like it spells disaster really really fast and sometimes it can and that's one of the same things on my part too not letting the emotion get in front of everything else and so if an individual does show up with something that's a little bit inadequate depending on the basis of the situation mm-hmm. uh sit down have that conversation but almost always i'll have them go through we'll do a quick walk back to modified french kind of looking mm-hmm. at things getting things going the right direction because just by getting that tuned up is already going to help improve things. Yeah, and then exactly. that helps bring his confidence up as well, his or her confidence um, up pretty quick just on that. And then um, there have been several times where uh, the odds were definitely against the client, and we mm-hmm. worked with him, got him through it, and he walked away with a pretty impressive trophy and kind of fixed things later on and, learned a lot kept heading down the road yeah what's a uh, what's been like a, a either a really memorable or like one of the most favorite hunts that you got to uh participate on there in texas uh in texas let's yeah, see texas spe- specifically specifically um because you're I gonna would... get to talk about hunts in other places <laughs> for sure. um i would say probably my favorite bow hunt was watching my oldest boy 
take his first pig um, with a recurve bow there you on go. his own, boots on ground. Jake's eight-year-old has more recurve kills than I do. He was seven at the time. Seven. Okay. Well, there, there we go. There we go. Well, his arrow weighed 685 grains and had 32% FOC. He's the one who built it. So my eight year well, he's nine now. Uh, my oldest does all the arrow builds for his, him and his brothers. My middle child, he's eight, just turned. He does all the custom cartridge loads for the rifles for him and his brothers. <laughs> and then the youngest, he just runs around beating things with sticks and being extremely <laughs> as he, entertaining as as he should as he should oh, he's yeah. the youngest uh well as much of a bow nerd as you are you might be a bigger rifle nerd uh <laughs> than than god just about anyone i know i remember when we were at dsc we we went and hopped around there for a minute and you're talking about rifles and cartridges like i'm pretty i'm pretty up to date on that stuff oh gee many christmas <laughs> Get all those cartridges. Uh, um, you're pretty. Like, I, I'm pretty up to date on like even some you know of the African hunting cartridges and just you know not like you know, not thirty out sixes. Uh, like it's about all you get here in the Midwest. Uh, and uh, chatting with you after like five minutes, I was like, I'm way over my head. Like I'm <laughs> I'm I'm in I'm in too deep. Get me out. Like I can't I can't keep up with this guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that knowledgeable. I've just been lucky to be around a lot of knowledgeable people and be able to actually mentally record the information so I can regurgitate it later on. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good good ability to have to be able to to, to give that to somebody else and give it in a co a cohesive manner that they can understand. Oh yeah. Um. Okay. So that's kind of Texas. I feel like you've done, I know you've done a lot more since you've been there. Um, but I guess before, before we leave Texas and venture into other States and continents, you've been, you've been helping with the Ashby foundation, uh, in Texas, uh, quite a bit. Um, can you, I know there, there's still a lot of things that are under wraps. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not trying to put everyone's <laughs> business all out there. Uh, but what what can you talk about with what you've done done there in Texas with the Ashby Foundation? Uh, Ashby Foundation, um, we've worked with a lot of different agencies to go ahead and help educate uh, masses on proper arrow design, proper arrow build uh, to go mm-hmm. ahead and be successful. And then pushing the uh, weight charts and some of the other stuff, the 12 factors uh, for 12 arrow penetration enhancing factors out there and getting it kind of spread across the state and starting to educate those who do a lot of the education on the rest of the side is a real big thing as well. And that's where getting, you look at some of the stuff we've done with Texas parks and wildlife and the hunters education, bow hunter one-on-one, even local shops and seminars, um, sitting down and having a local shop just host us and go ahead and go, Hey, come on out. Let's sit down and talk with the guys and do a seminar and have them try out some equipment to go ahead and help them understand 
a lot that's out there because there's a lot of misconceptions along the lines of what Ashby actually said in his uh, studies and a lot in his research. Right. And mm-hmm. that's probably been one of the biggest issues we've run into across the board. Yeah, sure. That's sure. something that we see all the time is, you know, people taking one little snippet <laughs> out of context or, you know, ignoring all the surrounding data and going, well, what about this? Like, well, <laughs> if you actually read what was, you know, what that was part of, it would make right. sense. Oh, yeah. But did you read more more than the one sentence that that particular quote was a part of? Did you mm-hmm. read the whole paper or did you read that whole update or did you read just that paragraph to give it context? Like it's you know, I'm not saying you have to read the thousands of pages that are available. Well, uh, if you read all roughly what 3300 pages that are out there, it, it does if you read everything that there is you understand it very very well and you're like hmm, got it makes sense and you press well, it and forward and apply it i i think that there definitely is a benefit to reading all of it and reading it all in order <laughs> yes you Just can see the progression and the change it's it is all a progression it's you know Starting at one point and going, okay, we're just wanting to look at broadheads. And then going, okay, well, we've got a pretty good idea of that. But now there was all this variation in here. Why why did that happen? And right. progressing through the years and through the studies and, you know, seeing that, you know, okay, at one point we were kind of leaning in, in this direction. And then the next report we go, oh, we were, you know... We were looking in the right place, but it's actually this and this that that was, you know, causing it. And, you know, fine-tuning and seeing that growth and that, you know, differentiation, it's no different than anyone else, you know, you or I trying to break something down and going, oh, man, yeah, like, that makes sense. Like, you start here and then you realize, oh, well, that's actually this and this. And, you know, it all clicks. It all falls into place. Like, if you just start at the end, you go, well, there's no data here. Like, he's making all these claims and, like, <laughs> it's like, well, it, it's there. Yeah, yeah. People, I don't know. The, the, the funniest thing, like, the, fu- the thing that I find most hilarious out of, like, all the misconceptions is, you know, they say, oh, well, with, you know, with how his testing was set up and with modern bow technology and yada, yada, yada. Like, it could be, like, the, the heavy grain threshold or the, the heavy bone threshold might be lower. And, like, really, if you look at it, like, with how he could physically test, the heavy bone threshold uh, on a, an animal that is not completely static is probably higher. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what a lot, like, when people are like, oh, I, I, I can't put any stock in that. I'm like, well... well and that's, uh, I mean, <laughs> like if shoot more. At, like if that's if that's really where you want to be at, like shoot more. Yeah. I'm not saying that everyone needs to shoot, you know, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred grain arrows. Like I'm, I'm gonna try and do it on a deer this year just to, just to do it. Uh, <laughs> um, I but, I strongly recommend, and it. So because of my background and what I've done for a living throughout the years, 
um, shoot, going back well over 20 years, you didn't really worry about adjusting to you. You just adjusted and learned. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying everybody yeah. needs to right. take that mindset, but when I went through and I was preparing for my first trip in Africa, 99% of the time, it doesn't matter whether it's a diker, a guinea fowl, or a impala, buffalo, whatever, I shoot a 950 grain arrow over there. Why? Because I want to carry the biggest arrow that I can that will work on whatever the biggest animal I might come across. It's kind of like carrying enough cartridge. If you're deer hunting, but yeah. you're in grizzly territory, you don't carry a 22-250 and that's it. You're going to carry something else a little bit bigger for when that grizzly bear pops out, just in case you need it or in case you get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I practiced for two years straight using only 950 grain arrows in North America shooting everything. And I mean everything with a 950 grain arrow. By the time I got over to Africa, I was surgical. I mean, 50-yard shots on guinea fowl through little holes in the tree. I could plug that thing right on through. And it just, I learned to adjust with it. And now, since I've done it, it definitely doesn't feel like it's that bad. I can shoot a 950 out to about 80 yards. Yep, yep. yep. Well, well, and that's, and that's we've a talked rock... about that. Yeah, exactly. It's, I just it's, ran... Uh, a two course tournament this last weekend with my nine fifties and I've been traveling for work and I've been on call and I, it's been, I mean, this is literally the first time that I've shot my bow further than 10 yards in probably somewhere four to five weeks. Okay. And just cause I like, I've taken shots at my house at 10 to 15 yards. I haven't had an opportunity and Hey, practice. And I practice. still ran uh, 50 targets out to, I think the longest shot was uh, just shy of 40 yards on the course. And I ended up with a 516. 16 so, up. 16 up with a 950 grain arrow. Well, actually, this was full hunting kit. So I had lighted knocks in it. And I actually fine-tuned because i had like a 20 grain spread between my 200 grain uh head arrows and my 315 grain head arrows mm-hmm. and so i uh shored that up finally i just had had the opportunity the time and so i think with lighted knocks everything's at like 970 to 975 now nice and had a little fine tuning to do on my longer shots, but yeah, made a little mass adjustment and the gaps didn't change. Just the initial. That's because I think yeah they were at like nine. My light ones were at nine thirty before. Okay. Mm-hmm. So not much so change. I I will not ever shoot a three D shoot again with a nine hundred fifty grain arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were target number six, and it was an elk target, and everything was going pretty good. Apparently, the arrow annealed to the target. In the middle of the <laughs> shoot, we had to pull the whole elk target down. You know, one of the three-piece yep. little dovetail. Mm-hmm. 
pull the vitals like completely out and it took two guys pulling on it while another guy like was standing on top of it like jumping up and down <laughs> trying to get the arrow back out of it um <laughs> there were knives being used to cut the target apart uh the uh club that i was with did not appreciate it very much <laughs> I was just um, i'm sure they love that <laughs> i got to, i got to shoot one more uh target because it at that moment it was kind of like oh weird fluke thing happened mm -hmm. um everybody was pretty pissed the second time that we had to do that <laughs> uh, <laughs> for oh, the most man, part they I've were only, mad <laughs> i've only had issues on remands um granted different you know like now uh the TDTs have like the ice coating from Victory, yep. which yeah. definitely helps with it's, targets. Dude, it's um, great. But yeah, reman targets are the ones that I if I see a reman, I I walk away. <laughs> like I I won't even mess with it because it, I don't even know what a reman is. Remanufactured. Oh, so oh okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. A blend, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, yeah, at that point, I just walk away because I know that it's gonna take half a day to get my arrows back yeah <laughs> just push it all the way through yeah <laughs> are people very receptive with what you're trying to get out like down there in texas uh believe it or not yes so due to our exotic hunting um i'd say we've got uh for the most part more receptive than we have uh had in other areas uh, just because you can walk out on a single 10,000-acre high-fence ranch and you can come across a Trophy Monarch Audad. You can have an Attics walk up 10 minutes later, and then next thing you know, there's a Scimitar-horned Oryx and in walks a Red Stag and then a Black Buck out of nowhere. So it it's one of those because we've got that variety of animals. Um, people understand that depending on what they're hunting, they need to think about what they need to choose and what they need to select. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, is there's still a lot of people that are either receptive or who have found the foundation through pain from wounding mm -hmm. and losing an animal. And it's, it's going to happen sooner or later, especially with a subpar setup. Well, that's yeah. one nice thing if you're in an area that has the opportunity for larger game is that there's a higher chance that, you know, you know someone or, you know, a friend of a friend has some hands-on experience with a larger animal. Yes. You know, that's one thing that I deal with in Wisconsin is you'll have guys that are going, yeah, we're, we're going to be going out for elk for the first time. Like they don't know anyone personally that has ever went for elk before. And so they're yeah. not even like, it hasn't even crossed their mind when I go, Oh, you know, are you changing up your arrow setup? You know, because I know these guys and I know that they're running like three fifty to 400 grain arrows for whitetail. And I'm going, you know, have you rethought your setup? Well, why would I need to do that? <laughs> um, because it's not a you know 150 pound whitetail. Yeah. Well, my like, brother's uncle's cousin <laughs> shot an elk one time 
with a 350 grain arrow, so that's all I need, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot. Well, I see it a lot and here in Oregon with, like, you know, weird main thing that everybody chases is elk, but you've still got guys yeah. shooting sub 400 grain arrows, and they're like, well, I've never had a problem. But then their buddies lost four or five elk over the years, or people shoot them in the shoulder, and they're just like, ah, it's fine, it'll live. Like, well, and that that's where, and probably completely off subject, and we'll get into it later on. There is no off subject here. <laughs> oh, it, it, it'll be one. We'll save this for another time because pissing off the masses can be fun. <laughs> the fact that a majority of states and majority of individuals do not believe that if they draw blood, their tag is punched. If oh, you just start with nuts. that fundamental. You step to the line, and you know if you wound that animal, you punch that tag, you are more, you will limit yourself more on what shots you take, what opportunities mm-hmm. you actually take, and you will pay more attention to the gear when it can be over in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And there is no redo. There is no second chance. And although things might live a couple extra days, Watching animals that get septic, and that goes back to uh, my first degree was in animal science. I went to school on a pro rodeo scholarship and all that fun stuff, and that was kind of the foundation of where I got a lot of this. And knowing how quick an animal can get into septic shock, what can actually go on, and how that animal suffers, that's not cool. We need to do better, and we owe it to the animal more. Um, So that's a issue that i usually see and have over the years and so it just it is what it is i completely agree i have in my uh in my much older age now at uh nearly 29 years old i've (laughs) i've gotten like way like way more i don't know but once this is like another one of those moments where i look back at like young like teenage and early 20s matthew and i'm like man you're a real idiot uh but like i i don't know like i I kind of have this like different view of all animal life like before it was just like oh it's just a squirrel all or you know it's it's something i'll i'll wing i'll wing a a shot at it like even turkey like some of the uh, shots i took at turkey with shotguns when i was a a younger guy like i'm like man i probably pepper i i know i peppered a lot of turkeys that like probably died painful deaths later from bb's being lodged in them that like and uh, and now i'm just like man i'm i was such an idiot like i shouldn't have i shouldn't have done that but so on, on this note of bow hunting um the other day on the internet a debate broke out oh shocking. and it was actually and, and it was actually <laughs> really it was really civil and i i'd like to get your uh, your input on this i know we've talked about it a little bit um within <laughs> within the three of us. So there was a, uh, a hypothetical discussion that uh, what if, and apparently this happens quite a bit depending on different, uh, um, uh, like a lot of urban hunting places and stuff like that. You have to mm-hmm. qualify. You have to show up, shoot your bow, get X amount in a target at X yardage. And if you don't get it, like you don't get to hunt there. Uh, uh, big brother stuff aside because well if I, I i try and keep my political rants out of uh out of the uh podcast but 
uh, Big Brother stuff aside, how do you how do you feel about that with uh, with knowing that Hunter numbers are hurting? It's it's a difficult thing. So and Hunter I, numbers are hurting, but we also have to take the time to educate and build the right hunters the right way. It goes back to if I've got 20 capable individuals that know their skill and their trade really well, I can do way more than if I've got 200 chuckleheads who don't know what they're doing. And I'm right. sending them out to go weld pipe. No, that doesn't work. And we all understand that doesn't work. Um, we need to get more people involved, but we need to do it the right way. So when I got my IBP certification years ago, uh, mm -hmm. when I went through it up in Alaska, that was a no joke, no kidding. Like it was not an easy course. So yeah. you went through, you spent a week, <laughs> five nights a week for uh, multiple, well, multiple hours a night for five nights for one week doing your education part, taking your written test at the end, looking at shot angles, uh, little training aids, foam deer that have vitals on one side, and you go, okay, where would you hit it if it was like this and this angle? And you take the little needle and you shove it through, and you can see what vitals it actually hits. And it's designed by somebody that is an animal science major. So we're not talking a target manufacturer is worried about right. covering up the uprights for the rebar. God. We're talking can, the okay, real can stuff. I, can, can I rant about that for like uh, <laughs> just a second before we continue? How, how uh, the as 3D I, targets have destroyed what we view as appropriate oh, shot I, placement? I I am just I am just getting into 3D like it's a new thing for me and I'm really enjoying it and I'm like oh like right there is where I need to put my arrow and it's like barely inside the eight yeah and I'm like that's stupid five yeah 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 and I'm not I'm not trying to be like oh I'm like such a good shot I hit exactly where I'm aiming every time I'm just saying like. There are times where I'm like, this is like, especially on turkey vitals. God, I'm a, I'm a turkey nerd. <laughs> yeah. And on turkey vitals, they screw it up so bad on 3D targets. I'm like, this is nowhere close to where you want to shoot a turkey. Anyway, well, I'm sorry. I, I had to get on that rant for like a minute. Like what we were saying before with, you know, a lot of people aiming too far back. Yep. You yep. know, instead of, you know, working up that front leg and, you know, working off of, depending on angle, like... The first target at that course that I did, the last time that I really shot my bow was at those pigs. Mm -hmm. And I walked up to this first target. Like, I didn't have any warm-ups. I walked up. I, you know, I, I what was it? It was uh, like a mule deer. Mm -hmm. And pulled back. It's like 32 yards. Put my pin, you know, right over the, the front leg. Let it rip. And I walk up. I'm like... That is like a quarter inch away from being a five. Yeah. Like it's exactly where I wanted it. Yep. But, hmm. Okay. 3D. Remember, 3D. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but that goes back to so if you look at it as far as any training, any conditioning that's out there, you develop muscle memory and you develop yep. habitual nature. Where to do it. you naturally, if, if that's all that you do, is work 3D courses all summer long, practicing, trying to get ready for season. And then you get into the heat of the moment. Where is that pin going to go? Yep. It's going it, to go towards the 12 ring, which is like middle back of the lung. Like, yeah. 
and depends did that deer breathe in at the moment or was uh, the diaphragm like there's so no, many different we're, things there we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about blood trails here in a minute don't oh, don't wow. worry <laughs> uh, uh i know gary gary pointed something out to me uh this is a while back i'm pretty sure it was when adam greentree killed an elk i think and uh, Garrett, you pointed out that Garrett's shrugging his shoulders. Uh, um, you yeah, pointed out that, that, that uh, <laughs> you pointed out that most uh, people that are not Americans don't have an issue not shooting in the V or in the in the triangle. Yeah, uh, like mo- right. most like Aus- Australians, Africans, when they like on any game animal, right they the put leg. it right above the leg, yeah. and Americans are just terrified to go there. Yeah. Well, I, people think that that shoulder blade or what, like, they just think the bones are further back or something. I don't, like, they don't actually understand the anatomy of the animal they're chasing. It, it or they're terrified. Very, very, very much so. And that was, um, I had a, uh, I thought it was a discussion, but it turned into a full-blown argument. And the <laughs> guy was very, he was very verbally upset with me, the fact that I told him that, um, you know, it like your shot placement's wrong you need to we're uh uh, teaching a seminar or something along those lines and (laughs) pointing out his shot placement was wrong and pointing out that with that type of animal you know his desired equipment both broadhead and arrow were not appropriate and he came unglued like it, it was fit to be tied you thought i would have just insulted his mother and talked about his sister <laughs> while drinking and dog. he i don't think kicking his dog would have pissed him off anymore but man <laughs> like insult, he just i mean it was straight to obscenities and like yelling and i'm sitting there in front of everybody just like they, shrugging wait, shoulders and I'm. I can yell back. I I know the nature that I have, and I can, and I'm. But not in that environment. And I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, well, that, that's, whatever. And I'm like, okay. Well, here's the anatomy physiology of this animal. Here's where I learned it. Like, I can get you a reference, like right now, off my phone. Like, no kidding. Here's based on animal science background. Here's what this is. And he goes, well, yeah, but I ain't back here. I said, well, you said your setup so good it always works. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, if you aimed where you're supposed to, it's not going to. He goes, well, I ain't back here. I said, why don't you aim forward? He's like, because my rage and my light arrow would stop on that shoulder blade. I'm not risking that. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what started ding, ding, the whole. Ding. That's what started the whole <laughs> argument. And I looked right at him, and I'm like, I want you to think about that. And he's like. Well, I'm not changing. I'm like, I didn't bring up that you had to change. I just explained some stuff and you got mad out of the audience. Like, what's okay? Got it. But even he knew, don't go closer with any of this other stuff. Now, the one thing, and it goes back to that, uh, the triangle or shooting the V or depending Mm -hmm. on how you look at it. What baffles me is rifle hunters pistol hunters firearm hunters as a whole understand the pure and simple basic principle of the animal got bigger our baby little setup probably isn't the best bet Mm 
We know what can work. We know there's documented cases years and years ago of two trophy bull elephant being taken with a single shot from a 22 long rifle. We know this to be fact. We know it's been documented and it's been done. And rifle hunters understand that because it can doesn't mean it should. Somewhere along lines, whether lack of education, marketing, or whatever, bow hunters have gotten into the fact that because it can means it will, which is a very definitive word, and therefore I'm going to. And mm-hmm. I, my end of the world, I can jump out of an airplane and possibly live. I can live because it happened once maybe, or I can crash a helicopter. I can survive. It can work out because it happened once doesn't mean I'm going to try it again when we know it probably <laughs> is not the best idea. So I, for me, that mindset just doesn't work, but that's where a lot of people get roped back around. Well, it has worked and it can work. Okay. And if you're happy with it, roll with it, man. When you run into an issue and you need something else, come and talk to me. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll get you squared up. If I can't get it for you or I don't have anything in your budget, I can point you to some amazing companies. Dynamic Archery Solutions, apparently pretty good. And the guy, like, learned from one of the best out there. But it's one of those that you can – oh, shameless plug, huh? Um, so, but we got those – we understand that that's the way it needs to go. But all too often, it becomes very hard for people to accept it mm-hmm. and to be able to view those differences there. But because that's the way it is, now we steer away from shooting in the appropriate spot. So it becomes this fatal loop. So we started mechanical broadheads because stuff didn't fly quite right and we were worried about big leg bones. So we mm-hmm. moved a little bit further back. Well, then we had penetration issues. So because we had penetration issues due to animals moving, we were like, well, what can make this better? Well, forget doing what we already know and what got bow hunting legalized in every sub-Saharan country over in Africa, let's make the cut bigger. And we're like, well, it doesn't work as good. And they're like, make it even bigger. And we just keep going out. There's a four, bigger. four or five inch cut mechanical out there. And yeah. you're like, okay, oh, Lord, yeah, I, I got it. Hey, it, <laughs> well, we'll hold my viewpoints on some of it, but it's one of those. It's like we started going the wrong route, and we need to steer back around to education before we end up having some serious problems. The way that I've looked at that previously is like the further that you aim back, one, your your density of blood vessels is decreasing the size of the blood vessels is decreasing and so now even if you do have good penetration you're wanting more cut to try and equalize right then you you get more cut and now you don't penetrate as well and so you try and get even bigger cut and like now you're aiming so far back that if you do you know miss now you're in the guts and now you want even bigger cut because then at least it's going to be dragging its guts and it's going to, you know, you'll, you'll be able to find it. And it's like, okay, but if we fix the point of aim problem, we don't have to do any of this. Like then, then what has always worked will still work. Like it just, we're, we're, 
people fix the wrong problem because it's easy. Because it yeah, well, they create more problems. Yeah, (laughs) by trying to fix it, they're fixing it, but they're not fixing anything. Yeah, what a what a dumpster fire we we currently find ourselves in, just say the least. So to just legalized mechanicals in Oregon this year too, and like guys that have like so guys a lot most guys in Oregon like for whatever reason the FMJ is super popular here just because it's heavier and people are hunting elk I assume but yep yep it, I mean, it's, it's like the that, most popular elk shaft there is yeah. like that's what every everyone's like going going to hunt elk buying some FMJ it's yeah. like no there's, you know there's a ton Stop. of guys I mean at least they're shooting a heavier arrow I guess yeah but there's a ton of guys yes you know they're like oh I'm gonna try mechanicals this year it's like why though why <laughs> like why would you do that i don't understand because it's what's popular it's what's yeah. told it's what's going on and that's where yeah and how... it's that whole thing of like they haven't been allowed so now yeah. now that they're allowed they're mm-hmm. obviously because they're, they're, everybody they're rants a... and raves about it it's like oh John, they're, they're legal because they work yeah. well right i mean that's why they legalize them <laughs> yeah. or because they're dumb but whatever like i just no, had this definitely conversation no, definitely no money greasing the wheels there <laughs> no, definitely not none i just i popped into uh the old shop this last week and had this conversation with a customer and one of the owners of he, he was looking for some new broadheads and mm-hmm. Like, this circle that, like, whether it's the marketing or just today's, like, have to have something new mentality. Like, this guy had not shot a deer in four years. Which, hey, that, that happens. You, yeah. you don't always get an opportunity. Like, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Nothing against it. But... Every year he's bought a different broadhead. And this year he was once again looking for a new broadhead. And it's like, I mean, four years ago you killed something, you recovered it, it worked well. And he's like, yeah, it was, you know, so he, what was it? I, I want to say it was, it was an old muzzy. And those are a fun like, one. <laughs> but it's like They're fun to get in talks about, that's for sure. Uh, we'll get back to that. I know the secret to making them fly straight like laser beams. <laughs> but it's just like, it, it blows my mind. And like, I mean, I play with different heads. 100%. I, I currently saying. have, you you would go. Yeah, this is, this is an adult mainly conversation, right? Are we? <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Yes, yes. Uh... <laughs> But as I you have, just get, you. I can't not. Like, Rob, you I gave know, me the layup. I know. It was like I think I currently have, well, five different broadheads in my quiver, just because they all fly the same. They all hit the same. Like I don't and, believe you. I don't believe you. There's no way. Fired. <laughs> Done. <laughs> yeah, as as I always say to Garrett, fired. But <laughs> nothing like. I know that all those work. I'm not using those because I'm curious or trying to find the latest, greatest thing. Like, sure, I want to get kills under all of them just to have kills under all of them. Mm-hmm. 
I got but, a box over there like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know you do. But, like, when you haven't even used your heads, like, I just, I don't get, like, where that desire comes from. Of, I mean, oh, it's I, the I'm same gonna... thing with guys buying new bows every year, I guess. I mean, we're all kind of guilty of that, too, but... Yeah. Uh, you at least speak for yourself, your young bow. Yeah, yeah, man. I I don't even know. I don't even know what Jake shoots. He doesn't talk about it. Like it. it I, I I honestly I think it's a bow tech of I, I some like type. It's a good. It's a good bow. Do you have a prodigy? What do you have? No, no. I, I got rid of that years ago. I got rid of my guardian too, which was probably the worst decision I ever made. Um, <laughs> I had custom eighty-five pound limbs on that thing. Well, how'd you get rid of that? No. Yeah, well, I, I had to pay for the next one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> long story there, but um, I've got an Insanity CPXL that is mm. set at 82 pounds. And then I've got a an Elite Energy 35 at 83 and an Elite Energy... 35 in buckskin um, with some other fancy stuff on it in 80 something or another and um, I know I'm weird I I shoot the heavy draw uh, but there's no issue here well the funny thing is I shoot the heavy draw because I've got a, my shoulder is pretty damaged Yes. <laughs> if so, if right. <laughs> so get Garrett just German Shepherd. Uh, uh, I, I saw that. So one of the things that I found, if I go below seventy pounds on my draw, if I'm in that sixty pound range, um, usually I only stick to about those even numbers, sixty, seventy, eighty. Um, when I drop all the way down to that sixty, I have a habit of torquing on that uh, very back wall. And keeping mm. that tension there so much, because there's not enough uh, pulling pull me back. forward, yeah, there's not enough held yep. weight. Yep. and because there's not enough held weight, I end up torquing out my shoulder even more. Um, mm. And after I spent two months in recovery for my sh- shoulder, my neck, and my lower, well, both my shoulders, my neck, and my lower back last year, um, I prefer not to go that route again. Uh, so for me, up in that 80 out of the 80 pound end of the world because I've got that a little bit more extra held weight. It feels more comfortable and I have less issue to it. But I've also been shooting an 80 pound bow for 12 plus years now. So it kind of goes into old man retard strength. Um, (laughs) You know, you can do it. It's a real thing. It's going to be proven by science here pretty soon, I'm sure. Well, you know you can do it. You pick it up, you do it. You don't think about it. You don't sit there and go, oh, man, this is 80 pounds. You pick it up, you pull it, and you're like, eh, I probably should have warmed up a little bit. And then you shoot (laughs) a couple times, put it back on the wall. A little more crackles than usual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going going back to the discussion about like people swapping broadheads and especially going to mechanicals and stuff like that, what I find interesting is when I talk to people that aren't in like quote unquote our circle, that when you mention um, broadheads that we deem acceptable, they we 
we get the German Shepherd look. We get the what Garrett just did with cocking the head sideways. <laughs> like, what what are you talking about? And what's what's interesting is the last couple of years there have been a lot of really good broadheads that have come on the market. Uh, I mean, all, all all things considered, like I mean, in in our circle, what we would deem acceptable, but there have also been a lot of not good broadheads that have come on the market. And the ones that suck are the ones that are just getting all the coverage at ATA and all the big videos that, you know, these guys are doing for reviews and stuff like that. And it's like, man, like, have you thought about, uh, you know, when everything day six or iron will or Valkyrie or any of these. And and they're like, what? I haven't even heard of those. And, and then of course, and you're like, Oh, check this out. I'm like, Oh my God, $35 a broadhead. It's like, well, that's, <laughs> like, that's, and that's another thing that I still can't wrap my head around. Maybe Jake can give us a little insight is the whole, like, I'm going to go spend $1,500 on this new Hoyt. I'm going to have $5,000 worth of Sika camo. I'm going to go buy a new $45,000. Apparently that's like bottom of the barrel Dodge Ram or whatever. Yeah, that's a gas good, good luck. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not a, yeah, that that's the gas. That's, that's I got my oil version. changed and was browsing the lot this afternoon and I, I saw the truck that I would like to get and I went, oh, that, man, that, that's like pretty much what I want. And then I looked at the sticker and I turned around and walked away. <laughs> you cried like, a little bit. <laughs> $73,000. Are you oh kidding me? Like, it wasn't even like a, a high-end package. No. Like, yeah, you're like, well, I guess I live in anyway. this truck now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. that's my mortgage that's my right there. Mortgage right here. <laughs> Off topic, but... Yeah, but that, point, that point being, these guys, they'll, they'll buy all this gear, all this gear, and then it's like... How about we spend two hundred dollars on six quality broadheads? And guys are like, "Nope, ain't doing it." <laughs> well, hey, what are you doing? You're lucky hey. to get guys to spend two hundred dollars on broadheads and a dozen arrows. Yeah, no kidding. Well, like, and s- somewhere along the way, we've done this complete and total. Let's make the most expensive stuff everywhere else. Let's make it most shootable, blah, 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 whatever the bows are. And then, no, just skimp on the part that matters more than anything. Yeah. If And I'm not a brand loyal individual. I have, I've, every single year I go out and I test every single new bow that's on the market. Period. Done. I am not a fan of certain other companies. I am a very objective individual due to all my different jobs and everything else. I'm, I don't put personal insight into stuff. That's very, very matter of factual. Hey, here's this, this is where this is. And I test every single bow that's on the market. I don't write a review. I don't go out and do any of this. I do it. So that way, if somebody has a question, I can eloquently articulate a response to them and what they're looking for. I don't care what you shoot. Be smart about your arrow and broadhead choice. I mean, yep. you look at the stuff that Emily's pulled off. I mean, the Eland is an amazing feat, but nobody, we don't really cover the wildebeest quite as much as usually you would think that we would, is, uh, or at least in the industry, just because pure size has mm-hmm. that little bit to do with it. But the wildebeest, she had a bad shot and ended up uh, breaking both scapulas and a spinal process and got 10 inches of arrow out the other side. She broke mm-hmm. three major bones on a 
600-pound animal, 700-pound animal. Jeez, wildebeest are that big? I didn't well, know they were that big. Wildebeest are a pain in the butt. They are the poor man's <laughs> buffalo. Um, <laughs> we've, and they're twitchy, we've, right? They're a very twitchy yes. animal for, how, for being that big, I feel like. Okay. We, we shot one, 470 nitro, broke its front leg. Everybody was like, yay, it's down. <laughs> we went back like 30 minutes later after we took a break. Went back to the truck, figured we'd wait on the trackers and skinners. Went back in to get the wildebeest, and we had to do a tracking job for, like, 700 more meters. <laughs> like, we it, you watched it clobber into the ground. Like, it just, and just fell. And everybody was like, well, there ain't no getting up from that. Like, And then when we recovered it, that near side leg was just, destroyed it's a 470 nitro all the way through it both lungs are popped the top of the heart's gone and we're x amount of meters from where we were and we're like this is we actually had to track it and we were worried about losing it that's how much they can absorb lead and they're very very twitchy animals but because of the size we don't talk about the bones necessarily that we break on that end of the world right there it's a very interesting end of the world well and that's yeah mentioning i guess the 470 i think brings up something that just doesn't make sense to me with people complaining about the price of arrows in general is so if you go out with your rifle whatever your rifle of choice is, and you go hunt. Every round is X price. Yep. Right? And that's just accepted. You're going to go out, you shoot one or two rounds or whatever, and okay, yep, it's gone. Like, an arrow you can get back doing the same job. And if everything goes right, you're going to get that arrow back and you can use it again. And then we question why that arrow in Broadhead is, you know, a certain dollar value. Yep. Well, right. I average 9 to 13 kills per Broadhead before I turn around and usually end up losing it. I don't yeah. destroy it. I lose it or I throw it in a box. And, yeah, that thing's way too full, so a lot of kids get to shoot. <laughs> very expensive stuff that's been resharpened but you throw it in there and that's just where it is but most of the time i end up losing the arrow somewhere and that's just what it is but Mm -hmm. 9 to 13 animals per head and then i've got clients that are 27 30 animals per broadhead gracious and heck i had a guy that's looking pretty cheap yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was he uh I ran into him, last time I saw him in person was about two years ago, and we had, uh, I was helping out with Grizzly Stick up in Dallas, and um, he came by the booth, said hi, talked to everybody, and I'm like, hey, gotta, we're doing the show special, whatever it is, and he's like, I've got enough. I've, I've only used two broadheads. I'm this many animals in, blah, blah, blah. He's like, the one with the most kills right now, it's got 27 going on 
whatever and i got more hunts coming up and i was like okay i said well we're running a deal you don't exactly live close to around here so you might as well save on shipping he's like i appreciate it jt hey i'll catch you later (laughs) he comes back by later on uh handed me a drink or cup of coffee or whatever it was and Hey, he's like, I'll take a pack of broadheads. I don't want to pay for the shipping. And <laughs> <laughs> he, he walked off. He still hasn't used all his broadheads yet. He spent will, uh, $180 in heads, and he's killed more animals than most people do in a lifetime. And he's uh, still got some I'll, left. I'll, I'll mute this part out, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but I'm just curious. Is this, uh, is this stra- strangest? Is this strange Milton? No, no, it's not strength. Okay. No, nope, no. Nope. All right. Because I know, I know that I know that guy's a murderer too. <laughs> like he kills everything. He, he 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 makes me look like I'm a saint as far as nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like between yeah. you, you sit down. You want some of the most humbling experiences if you ever think you've done anything in your life, and it was where I was starting the. And I wasn't doing the math, but I was sitting there, and you, and you guys know Rob Nelson, uh, president mm-hmm, of the ISB mm-hmm. Foundation. So mm-hmm. he's one of the guys I look up to. He is one of my mentors in the bow hunting. A yeah, lucky as, bow as hunter. I, I wish to God I I was that lucky, and I'm I'm getting there. But, as I alluded to, uh, Jake Thompson goes to bed wearing uh, Rob Nelson yeah. uh, pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, uh, Rob's a great dude. And then sitting around Doc and doing all that stuff. And uh, and you're very, very humbled very quick. So it was very interesting being around and seeing how many and what actually went on and like how to get there. It just... God, you want to talk about numbers and things that those guys have done and Buffalo they've shot. And you've got to ask the question the right way with them. Otherwise, it's <laughs> you might not get exactly what you think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about Africa for a minute, um, uh, and then then I want to do a, a skip back over to North America and talk okay. about Alaska. Uh, so. Uh, you've you've got to kill some really big things in Africa. Uh, just and this is kind of a like a I guess a personal information question. I mm-hmm. guess so. You talk about when you went over to Africa at least one time how you had a 950 grain arrow for everything. Yep. Uh, most animals that you uh, you know people are starting to shoot 950 plus on are dangerous game, cape, yes. uh, um, tembo uh giraffe. hippo giraffe uh yeah, yeah stuff that will uh, uh stomp you or and or uh, well i guess all those animals will stomp you <laughs> well a hippo will, will will crunch you in half um uh, uh but they're angry little boogers uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is what's a typical range on on those kind of animals where you're like you're shooting 950 grains uh I, I know i know it's very like dynamic fluid thing and and you know i but i is there like do people take 60 70 yard shots on on like game that big out of a 950 grain arrow uh generally not uh I want to say usually 40 and under is kind yeah. of where you end up sticking to. Um, you start getting out too far, you're starting to push the limits of a lot of different things to include sure. yourself 
your trackers, yeah. your there right. there's many facets to all this. Um as far as the dangerous game side goes, I'd say most all of it is forty and under. Um uh trying to think I wanna say mine was twenty seven when I when I shot my cape. Um and that was how we'd worked that booger for four and a half hours. Um, it just, yeah, there, I never thought I'd get that done on that animal. Uh, we had showed up and you take the tour and safari and go drive around, see everything. You get in a little tour vehicle and you start taking off out across the, uh, open plains and areas that you're at. And, uh, my pH, very, very good friend of mine. And, my guy that I go to for dangerous game, uh, and that's Alex Krugel. He uh, he was like, I think I found, I think I know what buffalo you want, but I've got it narrowed down to three based upon your request, what you're looking for, and also your personality. What do you want? Do you want like big bosses on it or something? I or? wasn't so much worried about the boss, but I wanted that ultimate that ultimate buff that had that low swooping horn that had that just pure indicative look of what Africa is supposed to be. That classic perfect image that kind of works everything <laughs> out that is in Since there. Since you guys um, can't see it, he's the, the buffalo is right behind Jake in the video. <laughs> well, and so this one was actually interesting. So in the middle of – or. Throughout the course, he was the alpha of the herd. Uh, he was obviously the lead bull. He didn't look at you as he looked through you when he'd spot you. Um, and when we first got there and we were sure, watching him through video. binos, oh, he was extremely creepy. Like, <laughs> Emily's got a picture of him looking right through her camera when we first got there. And all Alex told me was, well, there's a herd up in this region. When we get there, if we see him, you will know him. And I was like, all right, that that's a pretty ballsy statement. Like, I mean, you're not going <laughs> to yeah. tell me anything about it. <laughs> and I got eyes on him. And as he turned his head, I looked. And Emily goes, is it the one right next to the tree? Blah, 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 blah. She goes, that's the one I'd pick. I said, that's him. And Alex goes, told you. <laughs> like, he's like now the hard part we have 10 days to get him i'm like oh great um so <laughs> that became a, a whole nother part of the story but uh once we were all set up and everything um and once we finally had him come in from the first time that he came in to our hide uh due to the time of year we were there we didn't have the opportunity to do a walk in stock just because most of the vegetation was uh, all gone um, and mm -hmm. water was relatively scarce so between food and water being scarce at that time it, you can kind of control them and bring them in a little bit better but sure. you don't have the underbrush to go ahead and cover up your movement so right. even if you're walking through a thicket they're going to spot you hundreds of meters away there's no chance um, and that was just the, the way the weather worked out have good, good vision? Uh, any herd mentality mindset where you've got a lot of different mm -hmm. eyes that are working eyes, there yeah. mm -hmm. so it's kind of like caribou. If you work a single caribou off the uh, off out of tote coming down through the pass uh, just south of chicken, you can put a white T-shirt on a stick and wave it at 
out in the open and a single caribou will come down. If it's a herd, they're going to look at you and bolt off and get out of the group. Um, yeah. So once they get herd mindset, there's a lot of eyes and they get a little skittish and kind of look out for each other. Um, but yeah, there's, that'll be one of the stories you need to bring up when we get Emily on the podcast. Uh, cause her and I about butchered that whole entire trip. We literally played a game of who can screw the next person up the worst. <laughs> um, <laughs> unintentionally, uh, <laughs> the cameras dropped bouncing across a floor of a hide while at full draw on animals. Um, oh, no. <laughs> like <laughs> randomly falling out of a chair because we'd been waiting. On, yeah. Uh, we, we went back and forth on, <laughs> let's see who could have the most fun. Um, but so yeah, that one was a definitely a very, very good one. Uh, but getting into it, trying to get them in those positions will be definitely difficult at times. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. So, uh, one of the cool things, and man, I don't know if you guys can hear these dogs, but man, they are. I can't hear them at all. It. You can't hear anything? Nope. Oh, wonderful. Man, my neighbor's dogs are losing their mind about 15 <laughs> feet from my window. Um, that's great, living next to people with that don't care about their animals. and some, they just some hot dogs, stick. man. Yeah, and I'm I'm about to just open up the window and throw hot dogs at them, and then just take the hot dog juice and throw it at their house. <laughs> Nothing worse than hot dog juice. Um, so the the kind of the cool thing that um, I, I think surprises a lot of people about Africa is it's not the uh, the ability to take multiple animals is not as expensive as you would anticipate. Oh no, uh, it's a lot cheaper it's, than it's, people think way cheaper like then like if you go to texas not that there's anything wrong with going to texas but if you go to texas and you want to shoot like one you know semi-trophy exotic it's gonna run you about the same price as like three four maybe even five animals in a package over in africa and i mean i'd much rather shoot five animals than one i know you've got airfare and trophy like you know getting it back and stuff like that but i mean re- i mean it for me like I guess, I mean, driving down to Texas would be cheaper than flying to Africa, obviously, but there's still a time commitment for, for me, uh, at least, you know, not living in Texas. It's not something I can typically just run down and do for the weekend, uh, although we definitely tried one time, uh, but uh, it, uh, <laughs> uh, that but still happen again. it's, yeah, oh, and it's, <laughs> it's going to happen again uh, sooner than later, I think. Um, but it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, if you like, I mean, you know, you need, you need to save up for a minute, but like you can go to Africa and kill a lot of like cool animals for not as much money as people think. And I think it, I think if more people knew that, then they'd be more prone to trying it. I feel maybe I'm, maybe I'm completely off base with that. No, I definitely think you're on the right path. I've got a couple friends that for the longest time, their answer was always, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. I can't afford that. And I'm like, okay, and not picking on you, Garrett. I'm like, you're a DIY elk hunter. Okay. You went out money to try to kill elk. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I've, I've got a friend where he like, we sat down and broke it down budget wise. And it's something like $7,500 a year 
that he spent and that's if he doesn't get one yeah that's not that's well i'm driving here and i'm doing this and i like start adding up all his fuel his wear and tear on his tires and i didn't even go wear and tear on his truck and then i went into expenses for this and blah 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 where he was at you're allowed to bait until three weeks before season then you have to pull all your bait and then over the course of three weeks or six weeks whatever it is that the rest of the animals come back and lick it all up that way nothing's there by the time season starts but you keep your cameras up and then you said and holy cow seventy five hundred dollars for an elk and that's just to go out and go camping for a week yeah and i'm not i'm not saying that that's bad we we all do it we all have our passion and i don't hesitate at all to go out and do that stuff but when you start actually adding up all the numbers and figuring out what's going on and then if you get the taxidermy work done and then you get some of this other stuff taken care of and then you're like oh well i gotta process the meat too because i don't do it myself or Mm -hmm. i'm not in a region to do it myself or drive it back and then it it keeps adding on and compounding where my first hunt to africa uh it was seven days i did seven animals now i've I've wounded and lost a couple um bad decisions on my part as far as animals moving i thought they'd had RSVP'd and we're going to stand still. <laughs> Apparently that wasn't the case. Um, and some of it was just me just screwing up. Um, so, but I brought seven animals home and did all that stuff. And I want to say counting airfare, taxidermy work, customs, freight fees, everything, all the alcohol, travel, living high on the hog, food-wise, and everything out the door. And we did things not the cheapest way was only 11 grand yeah and that was okay. for two of you right yeah it, that was no that was for that wasn't my last trip that was oh okay gotcha. my very very Previous first tra- trip which gotcha. wasn't gotcha. that many years before and right. i'm like okay and sure <laughs> i'm like that yeah. that counted taxidermy work like that's your airfare that was everything from the yeah. Time that I decided and started paying money to the time I got all my tax derby work back. Yeah. I mean, I now, spent can like go a, more? It's not asinine. I spent yeah. like a grand on just arrows and broadheads this year, so. <laughs> well. But I got a really good deal on a bunch of broadheads that I like. So yeah, you're stocked up for a while. <laughs> I'll have broadheads for like a decade. And as long as you live by that, but I mean, Rob's got some ideas for you next year. We'll we'll go ahead and get you switched because you haven't shot one yet. So we're just going to change your broadhead before you do it. Um, that's how it works. I'm not right, opposed Rob? to other systems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say you were. I'm not even clowning on your system. It's not no. a bad system. I did dig my arrow and broadhead out of a tree, and it was arguably just as sharp as when it went in. So that is good. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the photos. <laughs> Came out. But, yeah. Thumbs down. Yeah. Well, somebody asked me earlier on today. They're like, "Are you going to give Garrett shit about this?" I'm like, "Uh, no. They'll they'll do it for me. Oh, I don't oh, have to say." Oh anything. yeah. Oh. I'm don't like, don't worry. We it, haven't had it, time to clown on him yet. I literally we I woke up Saturday morning. Uh, it was Saturday afternoon to uh, a message in the group chat from. Garrett that just said, damn it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, and I replied back, 
did you miss? And then about a minute later, I said, you missed, didn't you? <laughs> and then about a minute later, I said, yeah, you missed. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> I, I, I had an acquaintance one time that didn't call me for over a month after elk season. <laughs> a, little, a little too much razzing there they couldn't handle. Nope. Never even said a word, but he... Uh, <laughs> he a great friend of mine absolutely awesome dude uh i believe the last thing that i had said to him was you know the good luck and you know i get you didn't change your setup because it was close to season so i hope you don't wound and lose one and he wounded and lost one and <laughs> i didn't hear from him like i i was actually getting worried i had to call the wife and she's like, he'll call you when he's ready. Like, All right. Got it. That's. Yeah, it can be tough. Oh, yeah, heck. Yeah. I... Uh, Wounding animals is hard, man. Oh, I turned it. into little crybaby poopy pants. And I mean, oh. it, it's what I always try not to do. And my number one goal is to never have that happen. And yeah. I've been very, very fortunate in having the appropriate opportunities and making sure that things lined up to yeah. what I was, or knowing my equipment could do what I needed it to do. Um, yeah. So my wounded and loss rate is low, but I'm still not happy about ever wounding yeah. and losing yeah. an animal. It, oh, it, it, it makes my it, heart yeah. sink. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a difficult thing. So what, uh, what in Africa have you not got to hunt yet that it's like a big, like something you really, really want to do? I want my giraffe. Um, yep. I probably, and I mean, I'll get, eventually I'll get my leopard, my lion. Um, I still want a hippo. Uh, and I'll probably green dart a rhino one of these days. And yeah. I want to do a tembo. Um, I'm going to go live neat. over there Isn't for a while neat. once I retire. So yeah, it's smart. Yeah. Smart. I'll be a PH. Isn't Neil Neil's doing a Neil's doing a green hunt on a rhino this year, isn't he? I I, I believe so. Is yeah. either this year or next right. year, one of the two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, I wonder I wonder how that works, but I wonder how it will I'm probably talking to a guy that might un, might know how it works. How do you how do you modify the arrow setup to stop on the dart? Lighter arrow. You just shoot like a crazy light arrow with a dart on the front uh, with a si- drink? Yes, yeah, significantly lighter arrow. Uh, your guide will have one. They'll have a little cap over the top of it because, God forbid, you accidentally poke yourself or poke somebody else <laughs> with the thing. Um, yeah, you want to talk about chasing pink dragons. I don't think you're recovering <laughs> from that one. Um, the amount of surgeries I've had, I can make that joke. Um, so, we, uh, but from everything that I'm tracking, I haven't gotten to do it yet. Uh, but everything I'm tracking, you shoot a relatively light arrow, lower poundage arrow, and huh. you go ahead and work your way in to go ahead and green dart it. Um, that way you're not yeah. damaging it. And then you follow it until it falls asleep. Biologists all come yeah. out and you do all your measurements, everything else. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boom. Away you go. You sit around, watch it come back up stagger and walk away yep that sounds that sounds really cool because i've talked to a couple people that have uh you know done the um 
okay, I'm going to butcher it. Is it the Dangerous Five or the Big Five? Big dangerous Five. five. Big, Big Five, five Dangerous okay. Seven. And dangerous Seven. Yep. Dangerous Seven, yeah. yeah. Okay, I always I always get it backwards. But they've done, uh, you know, one of the two. And on Rhinos, it's almost always a, a, a green hunt, which makes sense. Uh, so I was, I'm always curious how that worked. And I was like, I wonder if they just shoot like a really light arrow. Yeah. It turns out probably so. Yeah. The, um, the biologist and everybody knows that the lighter the arrow, the less penetration it gets. It's almost like this whoa. has been known for a while. So <laughs> you don't huh. say yeah. you know, it's, it's this <laughs> science thing that I don't know. It, it makes sense. I've never hey, heard now, don't say science too loud. Certain people on Facebook will get mad. <laughs> that is true so what's careful. uh what what's the most memorable african hunt you have been a part of so far oh god uh i've i've heard some good stories but i don't know if I'm yeah I, i'm not i'm not trying to because uh, and uh, you're not allowed to say anything with emily because you you can't steal her thunder because we are going to get <laughs> Emily, uh, uh, well intoxicated, so she will tell us about all the uh, all of her hunts over there. Uh, hopefully, hopefully a DSC. I don't I don't know if she'll be able to come down to DSC. I hope she can. But, I I don't know. Uh, we might have to work out something where you guys end up out here before that. But we'll we'll yeah. we'll see what we can figure out here in the next couple yeah. of weeks to court start coordination. Um, most memorable, I would probably say a uh, couple different. Uh, ones I would say uh, the second day of hunting uh, on my first safari with my father um, it was his first safari as well uh, so most families are very very uh, the son follows the father's footsteps and mm-hmm. dad gets him into bow hunting and outdoors and all that other stuff my dad was a hunter my dad was all that other stuff he was a three tour Vietnam vet uh, really awesome dude without getting too far into it um and has since passed away uh so uh but getting dad over in africa uh for the first time and getting him actually out there doing the adventures the safaris traveling with me and uh getting to experience that side of the world um due to the timeline that he was in the military he spent a lot of his time on the other side uh so right yeah he he knew a lot about the islands the philippines vietnam all out through there japan uh korea but not so much the atlantic side and africa and working around all out through that region um so i want to say the most memorable part of that trip wasn't necessarily the uh him killing anything it was when the ph was literally ready to beat the crap out of him (laughs) (laughs) okay you have to explain this so we had gotten in and like i said i got my dad involved in a lot of this stuff and uh, later in life he was only pulling 50 pounds uh had him to set up with um uh, I think he was shooting Ashby's 600-something grains total with the, some crazy stupid amount of FOC. I don't remember all his specs. Um, it's been quite a few mm-hmm. years. Uh, so we went through, and first night that we'd gotten there, um, I traveled back and forth across the pond uh, many, 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 many more times than I ever 
cared to remember. Um, so I was used to kind of the jet lag and certain combinations and sleeping and how to do what, have a drink here on the plane, eat this, and then take a sleeping pill or an Ambien or whatever, rack out and like balance everything out. Mm-hmm. He hadn't traveled overseas in quite a few years. Um, so he was a little jet lagged. Um, and we don't hunt when we first get to the lodge in Africa. That first day there, that first night, nope, we're there to relax. We might go tour around, see some stuff, might go drive 30, 40 miles looking at animals, but we will not hunt. Uh, you're just asking for a wounded loss animal. You're pushing it. You're jet lagged. Your body's fatigued. It's not, even if you feel fine, you're not fine. And people need to recognize that. <laughs> Uh, so the next night went pretty well. And then it was, uh, the end of day two and dad and I had split up and gone with different pHs. Um, and I was doing a lot more walking stock on the ground and he was in this little valley basin off the side of this mountain. (laughs) And apparently (laughs) this sable came in that was as, I really want a sable. That's so cool. As far as the pH is concerned, was probably going to go number one in the world, maybe number two at worst. <laughs> and okay. this was, I know all these guys, this is not a, hey, we want to try and sell you a sable. And No, this is legit. Um, but his pH is very old school and does not believe he's not going to be that modern or that younger pH where it's like, fine, you don't want this. I'm going to shoot it myself. And we'll just move to another <laughs> line later on. Um, which I have nothing against that. If you see a 60-inch kudu and the client doesn't want to shoot it, and it's going to be a world record, life is what it is, right? So, yeah. but uh, his pH was, they teamed him up with somebody that was about his age and also about mm-hmm. his mentality, which was really, really cool until that sable walked out. And <laughs> so all I know is we get back at dark and I just dealt with a whole bunch of hyenas. This was a couple of days before I shot the rhino with the slingshot. Um, and <laughs> it was at seven yards. I had plenty of distance. So... <laughs> We, we had done all this, and <laughs> we got into camp a little bit beforehand, and we're sitting around the fire, and I'd, I'd put all my stuff in my hut, and I uh, saw the lights coming, so I went out and greeted Dad's truck, and I helped him down out of the back of the truck, and I was like, how'd it go? He's like, saw some really cool animals. I'm like, yeah, how'd it go? Did you shoot anything? He goes, no. I'm like, did you at least have fun? He goes, I had a blast. PH is pissed at me. I'm like, do you have any idea why? And he's, I'm like, what happened? And he goes, I have no clue. And there was a lot of other profanity in there, but it was basically that attitude. If you guys had ever been lucky enough to meet my dad, you'd know. And he's just like, yeah, I have no idea why, but he's really mad. And (laughs) Peter finally gets out of the truck and, uh, it was dad's pH. Dad's pH wouldn't get out of the truck until after dad had kind of walked away a little bit. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And he's like, 
I'm like, so how'd it go? What happened? And he is just coming unglued at me. And I mean, obscenities, everything else. And I'm like, okay, slow up. What, what is really going on? Like, I don't, I think there's lack of communication. Something's not right here. And he goes, we had a monster Sable walkout. I'm like, okay, well, cool. Sable's not on his list. Jake, you do not understand. And I'm like, (laughs) no, I get it. And he's like, no, I've worked here a long time. I've worked on many outfits. This is the biggest Sable I've ever seen. I'm like, okay. He goes, this easily will go number one at worst number two world record. And I'm like, okay, let me go find out what's going on. And he's like, I just, I'm like, I know, I know, I got it. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to shoot it, but like, that, that would be awesome for your dad. So he's mad because dad didn't take the opportunity. And I'm just like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I go back, talk to my dad. <laughs> Dad's in the lodge, I'm packing, we're getting ready. Go, go to dinner. And dad's like, so I'm like, Dude, what's the deal with the sable? He goes, oh, man, that sable was big. He goes, it's not on my list. I'm like, why is the, why is sable not on your list? Uh, he goes, oh, it's too expensive. I'm like, what do you mean too expensive? <laughs> he goes, well, the price tag on this is about $11,000. I'm like, Dad, I already negotiated it down. We got this worked out, blah, blah, blah. Like, we, we had fun sitting there for some of this in case it happened. Right. And there he goes, dude, I'm old enough. I've been around the world. I, I could have shot that thing 10 times over. I'm satisfied knowing that I could have shot that thing and recovered that animal. I don't need to kill it to go ahead and actually know that I killed it. I'm like, okay, this about the price in it. He's like, I'm not paying that much for a sable. I don't really like the way they look. Like, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I go back up. And, yeah. So we got into it about prices, everything else. I mean, and, I, and I'm I'm looking at my dad, and I'm like, you do you realize what I negotiated it down to? And I told him the price because uh, we were doing a lot of other work with the outfit and a lot mm-hmm. of other things. So. There's, you can always work a deal somewhere type mm-hmm. thing. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. you're working for them, you're helping them out. There's lots of different things. Sure. And he goes, I didn't realize it was that cheap. When did you do that? I'm like, you were sitting there. I'm like, we sat down with the owner and everybody, and we had a drink that first night. He's like, dude, I won't lie. I was so jet lagged. My eyes were open. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I'm like, so you bypassed. A, a world record animal because you didn't know that we'd negotiated a price. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I'm still fine with living in, with it. Are you? I'm like, I guess so. And that was, that was the base point behind everything. Huh. Um, other than that, I would say my s- second one without dad, uh, my Cape Buffalo. Um, my dad grew up in the Northwest. Or he grew up Monterey. Uh, I grew up in the Northwest. Uh, rain, water, 
thunder, lightning. That was what I grew up around. It wasn't right. always sunny. It wasn't hot. I didn't live in the desert. We are in Africa, and when that buffalo walked in, the one that I wanted, the clouds got dark, and a freak rainstorm opened up over the top of us, and lightning was cracking within three miles from us. It was not on any radar. It was not anywhere to be found. The PH and all of us basically hunkered down in the hide, going, what the hell is going on? And it continued for quite a while. Breaking for a little bit, the buffalo would come back, it'd start again, everything else. And so that whole buffalo hunt, Dad was supposed to be with me on it. And he had passed away before he got a chance to do it. So as a dedication to him and a memorial hunt was basically what it became. So all the PHs that had ever worked out with my dad, all the people that had ever known him, everybody came together in the industry that had met or worked with my father to make this all happen and be able to make it happen that year after he died to go ahead and honor him. So that would probably be one of the biggest ones as far as memory and how things actually worked out. So without going all touchy feely yeah. and man, that's teary eyed cool. on it all. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's cool. Yeah. So. Uh, that's really cool. Um, I want to talk about Alaska for a minute mm-hmm. since you live there. Yeah, pull that pull that mic away like just a little bit from your from yeah, there you go. Um Alaska. You I I know uh based on your home, you have I've seen at least a couple caribou up there. Uh what is uh, what what has been as a as a lower 48 guy, Alaska is like it for me. Like I have to go to Alaska. Yeah, I, I'm excited to get up there next year. Yeah, so tell us, tell us about uh, uh, your your hunting in Alaska and maybe a crazy experience you had up there. Oh God, uh, I lived up there for four years. I spent ten days in. Well, I've spent twenty some odd days in Africa now between all the trips and I shot a rhino with a slingshot in the face and I did all types of other stuff. Imagine what four years in Alaska will do. <laughs> and then um take a trip back every year. Uh our uh I'm one of the ambassadors for American Hero Adventures. So I go up and yeah. run a couple trips uh with them every single year to go ahead and help them out and make sure the guys are taken care of to go ahead and honor our vets and law enforcement, fire and uh, rescue into the world. Um, so what animal do you want to talk about? Where do you want to go? What part do you want to go all the way North? I've been to Prudhoe Bay and the Arctic ocean all the way out to, uh, what's your, what's your favorite thing in Alaska to hunt? Uh, I love, well, caribou, but I think that's because there's a lot more of the experience that goes along with it. Um, sure. I still love, you have, you have to go pretty far North to hunt <clears throat> caribou, right? Like yeah. really far North. Yeah. Yeah. You have to go, um, there's a couple different ends of the world. You can either cut all the way up the hall road, uh, up North to Attigan's pass, which Attigan's pass is pretty awesome. You want to talk about ice road trucker into the world where people are, when you come down the pass in the winter time, they've got the guardrail shored up. So you run your 18-wheeler at a 
slight angle to it and then actually grind around the turn to go ahead and maintain your speed so you can spit yourself out versus plowing straight off the end. Jeez. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It, it's a. It, I love it. It's beautiful. Um, uh, it's, it's pretty barren up there. Um, but it is amazing as far as that goes. So you can go up north of Adigan's Pass or even up to Five Fingers, depending on what's going on. Uh, you'll get a herd right. coming through every once in a while. If you go back down around, cut across over to Toke, and then cut up toward Chicken on your way up to Eagle. Um, north of Washington Creek, usually you can get into uh, herds that come down across the road. Outside of Washington Creek, there's a 4x4 trail that we used to cut about 30, 40 miles back in on to go ahead and chase our caribou there. Hmm. So what? Uh, so so caribou is your species of choice for, uh, I guess, Mo- because of the adventure? Uh, the adventure. Moose is really fun. I love moose hunting. But they're a lot bigger, and that's a lot more work to be done. And you get to shoot one a year, and there's right. spots where in Alaska you can shoot five caribou. Wow. So I'll still do my moose, still do my black bear, still do my brown bear, depending on who, what, when, where, if I can make it happen. Yeah. But otherwise, I usually stick to my caribou and moose into the world, and black bear is kind of a given. Yeah. Well, man, I think for me, uh, brown bear and or grizzly, depending on where you're at, I guess, uh, that, that's like, that's it. That's, that's my, like, that's my end all to, for, for me. Uh, I can't, I can't even imagine like being that close to an animal of that caliber (laughs) that will just absolutely wreck you if you make one wrong move. Yeah, and and wreck you and everyone else involved. <laughs> like it's just there's that that's it's a type of dedication that I hope that I can muster when the time comes. It's just it blows my mind. My wife's already told me if I ever if I ever go to Alaska that we have to up our life insurance policy before we go. Uh, oh, there uh, there's no need to do that. Don't worry. There's <laughs> gold in the hills. As long as you find one, throw it to her, and you'll. Be... <laughs> uh, but yeah, so have have you been on uh, on brown bear hunts? Uh, I've been around for a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have not personally shot one myself. Yeah, that's uh, those are big creatures. At least every time I I see a picture of them, like a person standing next to one, I'm like, my god. That is a, that is a gigantic, gigantic animal. Oh, they are, they are not tiny. Yeah. It, do, do bears like trip your trigger at all? Or are you just, are you, uh, uh, are, I'm not say, are, I'm not, not trying to say, are you more of an <laughs> antler guy, but, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, growing up in the Midwest, I guess, so like it's antlers, like that's, it's antlers mm-hmm. everywhere. And like the thought of like, being like in the mix with a predator like does it does something for me i guess oh it it definitely does and that's where the big five the dangerous seven and then focusing on your dangerous game side in north america as well well even in russia now 
Um, yeah. You've got yeah. Uh, the brown bear side, the grizzly. You've got those different options and different capabilities, and there's something about hunting those animals where you know that they have the ability to turn around and you screw up, it's on you. Yeah. The, welcome to the big boy end of the world. It's nerve-wracking. It can be very, very... Uh, <laughs> it can be very uneasy at times, <laughs> similar to nerve-wracking, but not quite the same. <laughs> um, but it is... I'm not necessarily an antler chaser. Uh, you guys have seen the video of the house, and if we're going percentage-wise, it's less than 2% of the animals I've shot. Um, I'm more about the adventure and what's going on, the food that I get out of it, and yeah. the stories and livelihood that we got behind it. Yeah. Um, there's does that I've been more proud to shoot than some of the easy bucks that I've taken, and there's been some of the medium-sized bucks that I've taken or uh, broken antler bucks that have meant more to me than any of the 175 to 200 inch whitetails that are out there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, can we, can we talk about Russia for like a second? Is that something that we can talk about or not? Uh, we can talk about how bow hunting is now legalized in Russia and they're working on, uh, defining what the rules and regulations are going to be. Sure. Okay. So that that's, that's within, within playing ball of where I wanted to go. Uh, so, are we uh there are obviously there's russian boars uh in russia uh the 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 real big ones um and there are i don't i don't know if they're considered grizzly or brown bear or another subspecies they're big i, I was gonna I say how long so, is it gonna take before one of those gets dropped with a bow and then that's the world record forever that's what i was gonna I, it's exactly what i was gonna ask like are we about to see all of the sci records like fall to russian bears and russian moose and i don't know we will see how it goes hmm it's everything's bigger in russia chernobyl <laughs> animals over there yeah <laughs> <laughs> It, it might be its own subspecies. Uh, there's a lot of it for the archery side. I never really, I won't lie, I've never really looked into as far as where they would score, how they would score. Um, <laughs> I like a few other individuals that you guys know and have worked around. Uh, I don't have anything in the record book because it costs money to put it in the record book. And I can put that money toward another hunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's... Yeah. I, Let's go on the next adventure. Um, so I haven't really gotten too far into most of that stuff. Gotcha. Well, yeah. But they I'm, are uh, big. I'm curious to see how, yeah, no, they, they appear so. You always see the video of, like, the crazy Russian rustling with a bear. And uh, uh, it's, uh, the, man, they, they, look, they look huge. They look absolutely gigantic. So I'm, I'm curious to see if in, in coming years if we see some world records, uh, uh, starting to fall to uh, to Russia, because uh, I, I would imagine they're just not hunted a ton over there. Because as when the legalization for bow hunting happened, I started like doing some research, and actually, like it is very difficult to legally own a firearm in Russia. Yes. Everyone just does mm-hmm. it illegally, uh, and you know, police are paid off, and people turn a blind eye, and yada yada yada, and that's that's all fine and dandy. And there's weapons laid everywhere from previous wars. 
but like to actually own and like go hunt like legally uh an animal it's it costs a ton of money and it's a ton 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 of paperwork uh so uh, i would i would imagine that these animals aren't hunted like terribly terribly hard uh just because people probably don't want to get uh thrown into the gulag for shooting a bear uh but i mean we'll see i'm really i'm really curious to see how all that's going to pan out in the coming years it it'll be interesting it's really exciting to actually see everything start to come around and the involvement of different uh groups foundations and where people have helped out and what has actually gone forward to do it yeah absolutely Cool. Well, we are, I'm guessing between uh, all the uh, technical issues, we're probably over two hours at this point. Uh, so I will, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll get, we'll get this guy wrapped up. Is there anything else you want to touch on while you're here, Jake? I know you're, we're going to drag you on uh, more time. So oh, you don't, I, have, to get, I don't have to get everything out. <laughs> I, I ain't scared at all. Uh, if you, there's something else you guys want to cover, I'm assuming this little two-minute speech will be edited out but if there's something else you guys want to talk about i know we had limbax with some of the technical difficulties and some of the other stuff yeah um thank you you guys all for letting me down yeah you guys all disappeared at one point had no idea what was going on um luckily i realized it so i stopped what i was doing uh but yeah if there's anything else you guys want to cover or anything that you guys would think would add power value or anything like that hell i don't have to be up for six and a half hours seven hours so i've got another two hours that i'll be awake so (laughs) (laughs) well i'm uh i'm fresh out for the time being at least for stuff i want to cover this time rob garrett Yeah, edit this part out. Stop the recording. I'll fill you guys yeah. in. On a okay, well, let's 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 wrap let's wrap it let's wrap it up, and then we'll stop recording to uh, uh, to prevent all that. Uh, okay, okay. So, yeah, uh, you're probably gonna hear a really weird splice, and here we are uh, um, because I just had to edit out like 15 minutes of stuff. Um, anyway, uh, you never uh, know what I'm gonna say. Yeah, God, ain't that the truth? Um, uh, Jake, I really appreciate you coming on. And I uh, can't wait to have you on uh, many more times. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I and, appreciate yeah, you guys some, having some me. And detailed, you know, I guess specific conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I guess we've never like formally announced it, but like we will be at uh, uh, the, the podcast, I, I guess, like uh, myself, Rob, and maybe Garrett, if he can make it. Uh, we'll be at Dallas Safari Club um, and maybe SCI, but we're still trying to figure out what SCI looks like, but we'll at least be at DSC. So if you want to come visit us, we will probably be hanging around the Grizzly Stick booth because they are the only Arrow and Broadhead manufacturer that is there. So uh, we'll, we'll probably be there. So if you want to come and chat with us and give us a, an account of your success uh, with uh, quality equipment. We'd love to talk to you and uh, maybe even get some recordings and feature it uh, on the podcast later on. So um, yeah, I know we're, how far out are we from that? Almost, almost four months, but Hey, it takes, it takes a little bit of planning and uh, flights are cheap right now. I think, God, we're, we're flying in from everywhere for like a hundred dollars a flight right now. Like it's cheap. Yeah, it wasn't. Dallas bad. is the uh, Dallas is the Southwest uh, hub, so you can fly Southwest into Dallas for real, real cheap. So, and it's normally non stops too. So, anyway, um, 
yeah thanks again jake uh we'll uh we'll have you on again very soon i'm gonna we're gonna wrap this thing up so we can talk about things that we don't want recorded so there's no (laughs) no trace of them uh so uh thanks everyone for listening and until next time stay lethal and don't forget the olive oil